Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. This is the third and last part of our full interview with Alex Griffith from Fitch Ratings, where we discuss interest rates and inflation impact on credit ratings and the overall current market climate. Alex Griffith is a managing director and head of EMEA Corporate Ratings at Fitch Ratings. Fitch Ratings is a credit rating agency that rates the viability of investments relative to the likelihood of default. Fitch is one of the top three credit rating agencies internationally known along with Moody's and Standard Poor's. In the episode of today, expect to learn how do factors such as interest rates and inflation impact credit ratings, how do Fitch ratings adapt its credit rating process during times of economic volatility, how did the recent failures of multiple American banks influence credit rating procedures and overall market sentiments, and of course, like always, much, much more. I really love our conversation with Alex. He truly is passionate about his topic and extremely fast on answering even our most intricate questions. We truly hope you will enjoy the episode. If that is the case, and when you are thinking about how you found our podcast, chances are that it was through word of mouth, social media, or a recommendation from your favorite podcast platform. And this is our only request to you. The only way we can get more and more amazing guests and get more people to learn about treasury is thanks to you. So if you enjoy what you hear and maybe learn a thing or two, please consider following the show, leaving a review, or sharing this episode to help others discover it too. With all that being said, please welcome Alex Griffith. Alex, thank you so much for the insights shared so far. Um, we'd like to get a little bit deeper into the current market climates on credit ratings. So how do factors such as interest rates and inflation impact credit ratings to really look at something recent and topical? And this is this has been the question, not just of this year, but of last year as well. So I've been at this 18 years and essentially throughout that time, it's been a story of rates falling. Yeah, inflation hasn't even been on the radar. And suddenly we're in this, this position where you have economic challenges, but central banks can't counter them by dropping rates because you've got inflation, which they need to fight. So if, if we think about it in terms of credit ratings, what are, what, what are the issues? So there's, I suppose, the market issues, and we'll deal with those quickly because what this has done is, is, is throw markets into, into a bit of a tailspin. You know, the market is trying to work out in a rising rate environment how they price things. Uh, you know, if you're if you're thinking about a fixed income security, you don't want to say, "I'll I'll I'll do this at five percent." If three months later the market's moved to six or seven percent, so so calling the top of the rate cycle is one of the big things the market's focused on. Uh, whether we're there or not, uh, that's that's not something that I'm uh, qualified to uh, really opine on, but. The market calling the top of that is very important to to access. So, if you know what 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 it means is, if you're a strong borrower they like, they'll charge you more. They'll charge you a you know even bigger premium. If you're a borrower they don't know and don't like, they might not lend to you at all. So that's having a real impact lower down the credit rating spectrum, where companies typically have an awful lot more debt, uh, but also they tend to borrow 
floating rate rather than fixed rate. So most of what we look at, uh, high yield bonds or investment grade bonds is fixed rate. So actually changes in interest rates don't immediately have that big an impact. But if you are sitting on six or seven times leverage and you're floating rate, when base rates change, that does have a real impact immediately and, and, and get, uh, can get quite, uh, quite tricky on the operational side. I mean, it's, it's been a real, uh, a real roller coaster. So, you know, we mentioned, uh, mentioned COVID in the last episode and our, our views on that. Uh, I mean, essentially, if, if I look at our ratings, we've never recovered from the, the COVID downgrades. So we'd have expected uh, in a normal environment to see further upgrades. E- essentially, we haven't. But what we have seen is, is differentiation. So the big companies with less exposure to the consumer, with market power so they can push through input prices to their sales, those companies are doing well. So you know, they're managing to generate cash. They're paying down debt. They know that they need to be fairly cautious in terms of their balance sheet. So actually, they're, they're improving their credit profiles and moving up the rating scale. At the other side, though, we've got those consumer-facing companies where you know we all know consumers are now having to be very, very careful with their money, choosing whether they want to pay their own Christie bill or buy that fashionable jacket. That is making that ability to pass on costs, which are rising for pretty much everybody, more questionable for people that are facing the consumer. So that's pretty, um, yeah, pretty tricky. And obviously the, 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 the real, the real problem area that we've got, if you, if you take the two things that I've talked about, there are some companies in those sectors that also have seven times leverage, um, and maturities coming due. So, you know, one positive is that if we look at maturities, generally speaking, 2021 was a year of absolutely massive issuance. So huge parts of the leverage loan space, which is that single B range typically, managed to refinance in 2021. So the maturity profile is very much back-ended. There were a small number of companies that didn't manage to refinance. And those are typically the ones that were still really being hit by COVID, which are typically those retail, those consumer-focused companies. And they're now trying to refinance in an environment where the markets are sporadically open and frankly it's for some of them it's just not happening you know and, and their business models are also under threat so it's still not happening so it's very tough for, for for some companies in their sectors but the story really is differentiation some companies doing absolutely fine and some particularly with high debt getting in a bit more difficulty that's a little bit more about how you guys adapted ratings during that time alex so you, you gave us a story earlier about how you uh, had to look at all the industries from scratch again with the with the new framework that the economy was under, like with lockdowns, face to face versus things that go online, etc. What other changes did you have to make at the time? And you say because we haven't recovered yet. A lot of the lockdowns yep. have opened again. Like uh, although perhaps not consumer habits perhaps haven't gone all the way back. But for a good in- example of that might be like the travel industry. So. You can't find a cheap flight anymore because it's just every every flight's overbooked, which was zero during pandemic time. So I assume that some industries have bounced back better than others. So how do you guys keep up to date with all this volatility and things changing so quickly? Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's slightly weird in the sense that the last 18 months don't feel like they've been very volatile. Well, at least the last, last year or so, because it feels like we've been anticipating this whole sort of 
quasi-stagflation episode for quite a long time. And in some ways, it's simply not going away. Uh, you know, what, what we had last year, which was, which was a, I suppose, a shorter-term concern, was the Russian gas situation. So we were very, very concerned, as was obviously most of Europe, uh, about what would happen if Russian gas was turned off. Russia obviously supplies a uh, disproportionate amount of gas to large parts of Europe. I mean, what we found was, if you looked at the very, very early assumptions, they were pretty, pretty apocalyptic. You know, ten percent of German GDP, that kind of that kind of number, and ten percent for a macroeconomist is just is it's insane. I mean, it's, it's not a number they talk. It's usually talking sort of half percentage points, maybe, and that's really quite bad. So, ten percent is just um, out of this out of this world. We spent a lot of time thinking about okay, where's the, the various uh, where are the gas pipelines? Where can you get additional gas from? You know, what policies are being put in place? Who's being prioritised? And we were looking at that all the way through. And and we spoke to a lot of corporate treasurers after we'd done our initial homework. So we spoke to a lot of companies, understanding what they were doing. And this is where you know there's there's a selection bias because we rate the biggest, strongest companies in the world. Now those are the companies that issue bonds. They've usually got plans, they've got flexibility, so they were generally able to give us a pretty good idea of what they had in store, we could model that, and then we took we took some rating actions, but they were fairly limited. I suppose it wasn't a fundamental change to the rating approach, I mean, in fact, it was very similar to the approach we took during COVID, which was, uh, you know, we, we, we need to get under this problem, understand it, and take actions as appropriate. But now and again, you get these things which do very much change the game. I think if we look back at the stagflation question, it's not a fundamental change to, to what we're looking at. I mean, you know, we're looking at price rises, looking at cost rises, we're looking at the cost of borrowing. So that doesn't doesn't change the game for us in that sense. It's it's very much the normal things we deal with. A pandemic or a sudden gas shock, you know, those those are the more sort of difficult one-off events that we have to deal with. But we we deal with them by analyzing them. How do you take into account or how do you see the recent events around the failure of several American banks impacting the credit rating process, if any, but we might tend to think that obviously that has a systemic impact. How yeah. do you take all this into account and what's the effect you've seen so far? Obviously, I do corporate rating, so I can't speak for financial institutions. So this is going to be very much from a what did it do to the corporates kind of angle. Uh, and the, the short answer really was from a European corporate angle, it just extended that period of uncertainty a bit longer. So, you know, we were trying to, or markets were trying to work out where this peak in rates was, where they could go back to business as usual. And they kept getting, you know, they kept getting hits. I mean, the Russian gas thing was, was, was a hit, which they didn't quite know what to deal with. It stopped them going back to normal. The, the, the US bank thing was also a hit. I mean, it's, it seems like it's been it's sort of calmed down a little bit. I mean, I'd be a touch wood, don't know, we're monitoring it. Um, but it, it seems like it's been uh, it's been contained, uh, and those banks that were involved in it were quite idiosyncratic. But as I say, we, we are looking at it. If you look at the the spreads between financial and non-financial borrowings, there, there is still a there is still a little bit of a, a difference. It's not massive, but it's still there. But I think essentially the corporate market's got over that and is now just sort of moving on and and, and moving ahead a, a bit more as normal. Still trying to work out when those rates are going to peak. We're not quite there yet, I don't think, with any any kind of certainty. But uh, I think that was 
has been digested quite nicely. In terms of individual corporate analysis, in the banks that we looked at in the US were fairly small. The biggest concern was that it gave rise to some sort of general reduction in, in willingness to lend, which is, again, why having you know, the bigger companies as part of our portfolio is really helpful because they tend to be the safety, right? You talk about flight to safety when there's a problem. Actually, the things we rate tend to be where people fly to when there's a problem. So, so the risk that they would not be able to borrow is probably lower than, than potentially for some smaller companies. So there's more of a risk to the broader broader economy, SMEs, than there is to you know, the, the giants that we usually look at. It's less of an immediate threat than you might think. I think that makes sense in the context of the niche banks like Silicon Valley Bank in the US and some of the other small ones there. But something like Credit Suisse failing in Europe seems to have a different tone to it, no? In terms of like risk to corporates, if, if a bank like Credit Suisse can fail, like we, when we were speaking to treasurers around the time and even now, yeah. um, everyone's in a panic. They don't know where to park their money. It's a very good point. I suppose the you know, Credit Suisse was documented as having quite a lot of issues quite a long time. So... Yes, there's a there's a, a potential disruption there, and I'm sure you know there was there was a there was a couple of days when it was a real problem, uh, but the regulators have arranged a uh, arranged to get out. Uh, you know, there were there were certain things in that 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 again, I'm not not uh, a bank analyst and not the person to speak to this. But there were certain complexities in that which you know, which which you can talk about around eighty ones and that kind of thing. But in terms of did it have any impact on corporate ratings that that I'm aware of, I don't think it did. Interesting. Alex, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, just to wrap up for, for, for the episodes, is there anything else you'd like to add on the topics that we've discussed today that we didn't cover? Uh, nothing, nothing much to add other than you can find out a lot more on all of this stuff on our websites. Fitchratings.com is, uh, is fairly obvious. If you Google Fitch and climate, you can talk about climate vulnerability signals. And if you're interested, do just uh, you know, get in touch with us. There are plenty of contacts on the website. Uh, people can give you a chapter on verse and uh, on how it, how a rating process works and how you can get involved. Super cool. And we'll put all the links to Alex's LinkedIn, to the climate vulnerability uh, signals Signal. and, and, the, yeah, and the pitch website in the show notes below as well. Alex, it was a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much.